0: Big welcome to everyone. My name is Julia Hill, and I'm a third year Bachelor of Music student and 2020 New Colombo Plan scholar. I'm excited to be your host for the first session of Exploring Asia, focusing on scholarships and grants to get you into the Asia-Pacific region during your undergrad study. I'd also like to introduce a third year Bachelor of Health Science student and 2020 New Colombo Plan scholar, Katarina Guttjar-Holland, and she will be moderating the chat tonight. Before we get on to anything else, I would like to acknowledge the traditional custodians of the land on which we meet today. This evening, I am on the lands of the Jagara and Turrbal people and I pay my respects to Elders past, present and emerging and extend that respect to all Aboriginal and Torres Strait Islander people present here with us online today. Before I introduce our wonderful speakers briefly, there is some housekeeping to go through. Um, So, for recording purposes, if you could keep your mics and videos turned off, that would be great. It just makes the editing process a lot easier for when we put a recording out. The second thing is, if you have any burning questions, feel free to pop them into the chat box whenever you would like. Um, Katharina will respond when appropriate. However, if they're best suited to the Q&A session just at the end of this, um, we will save them to then. So without further ado, I'd like to introduce our speakers, Grace Manahan and Zach Look. They are both New Colombo Plan Alumni Ambassadors. During this session, Grace and Zach will cover the New Colombo Plan Scholarship, the New Colombo Plan Mobility Program, and the Griffith Asia Asia Institute Asia Future Fellows Programme. So for Grace, Grace Manahan is a fifth-year Bachelor of Laws, Honours, and Bachelor of Government and International Relations student. In 2017, Grace participated in the Asia Future Fellows Program and a new Colombo Mobility Program with Impex Corporation in Tokyo, Japan through the 2003 GBS Global Mobility Internship Program. Grace was awarded a new Colombo Plan Scholarship in 2018 and completed 18 months of study, internships, mentoring and language training in Singapore. She completed the um, international commercial law and public international law courses at the National University of Singapore and internships with PricewaterhouseCoopers and King & Wood Mallisons. As for Zach, he was awarded a New Colombo no, Plan Scholarship in 2019. He undertook two semesters of exchange study at Universitas Gadjah Mada in Indonesia, focusing on studies, studies in political science and cultural arts. He also completed an internship in Bangkok with a Thai government agency and studied Thai language at Chulalokong University. At Griffith University, Zach is a fifth-year student of Government and International Relations. He also completed the Griffith Asia Future Fellows Program in 2017. So now I'd like to pass on to Grace to tell us all about the new Colombo Plan Scholarship Program. Over to you. Thanks,
1: Julia. Thanks very much for that lovely introduction. And thank you to Julia and Katarina for having myself and Zach here this evening on what's the first event of this kind. So we really appreciate the initiative. Um, So yes, fifth year, getting close to graduation time, but not quite there yet. So this evening I'll be speaking about the New Colombo Plan Scholarship and also Asia Future Fellows Program. Um, Zach will be speaking about the mobility program as Julia flagged. So please, any questions that you have, feel free to post them at any time. Katarina's right there, feeling them already. So do take note of anything that perhaps we haven't clarified. So from the first slide, um, just a few pics to get you keen for lots of group socialising, I suppose. Um, But let's get straight into it. So first of all, what is the scholarship? So it is an Australian government DFAT initiative. It's it's partly revised from the Colombo Plan from earlier in the 50s, which, which saw Asian students come to Australia. So, it's really important you have a good understanding of what, um, where and how this program came about. So, um, Julie Bishop did feel that there wasn't enough people-to-people linkages and connection happening um, with young people with the region. You will hear different terminology used to describe various countries in Asia. For the purposes of NCP, it is referred to as the Indo-Pacific region. I would advise you to brush up on Australia's white papers, see why that is, see what it means to include Indo and India. Um, in that terminology and how that impacts you. So firstly, all of the scholarship requirements are available on the website and you're here tonight, so you're obviously enthusiastic, so I won't go through them in too much detail. So taking a look at our next slide now, um, I'm gonna break it up into four parts that I think are relevant. Pre-application is prior to the time that you're applying, obviously, application internally and through DFAT what to do whilst you're abroad, and then when you're home back in Australia. So let's get started. So pre-application. It doesn't matter if you're in your first year of uni or your third and you still have time to go. Don't feel like you have to have had a beautiful uh, footprint set out of what your degree looks like. You can do this provided that you have um, at least one semester of full-time studies, i.e. three subjects left in your degree. So you need to start thinking about what your interest is, Why do you want to go? Not, okay, my friends went and they had a great time, shared a lot of photos on Facebook. That's not what it's about. You need to start thinking about the more intrinsic reasons why you want to go. And for me, that meant looking at how I could meet the NCP criteria when this was raised to me through Honest College. So we have academic excellence, leadership and engagement, adaptability, and ability to contribute to the NCP strategic objective. And the final one in my opinion is the most important and I'll speak to that a little bit later this evening. But for yourself, print out your resume, compare the strategic the NCP criteria with your resume, see where perhaps you're lacking a bit. Is there anything you can do to make yourself a stronger applicant? Now we'll take a look at application. So you need to apply first to Griffith. So the way that the um, NCP has set out the scholarship to make it fair among the universities is each university can only provide 10 applicants to DFAT. So you need to take the Griffith application as seriously as the Canberra interviews and written application. So I believe we've just finalized this year's intake, so congratulations. Um, I think we have a few of those students on the call this evening. Um, But this is quite a time-consuming activity, the application. There's a lot of back and forth with other people looking at your drafts, but also the time that you put into thinking About your reasons for applying and actually getting that on paper is is bigger than one might assume. So make sure you meet the criteria and dedicate enough time to that application stage. We'll go now to the more exciting elements, which is being abroad. These two kind of blur together, the application and whilst abroad, and I say that because in your application you need to have an idea of your study plan, which includes which uni you're going to, internships and mentorships. Are you doing a language or not? Cultural engagement and fun doesn't form part of your application, but that's okay. So whilst you do need to give something to DFAT in writing, saying what you're going to do, there's a large element of your program that's going to be very organic. So perhaps it'll change whilst you're abroad. Perhaps you'll meet someone at an event that has an internship available. So I'm just going to give a very brief overview of what I did. So I was originally going to the National University of Singapore straight away when I moved in June 2018, but I was offered a spot with PwC in a consulting role um, starting at the same time. So a bit of flexibility there in that I said I'd defer NUS and go straight to an internship. That was really good. Um, I did that for six months, which at the time was the full internship allotment. So then I switched um, after that to full-time study. Originally, I was only going for one semester, but after about a week, I knew I wanted to be there for a year. So I used seven electives while I was away, which is quite quite a lot. So for me, I wanted to capitalise on this particular university's fantastic uh, international law electives. So you need to consider what electives you want to do with Australia versus um, overseas. You might be someone that's able to do some core subjects. Not really a whole lot of flexibility for law, but for political science. Um, I've seen sports students, I've seen um, music students that have had that flexibility. So that's a matter of conversations with your course convener, set up a few meetings, back and forth emails, um, how can you stay over and do the courses that you want in your host country? Um, But for me, it was a fantastic experience at NUS. Um, I went to a DFAT breakfast and met a lawyer who um, offered uh, to get a coffee together, and we did, and that ultimately led to an internship at Kingwood Mountains in my uni break So that's an example of a very organic sort of um, setup. I definitely had my sights on this firm, but I hadn't got a position prior to leaving Australia. So that was great. Language I think is a bit of an obvious one in that everyone's always telling you to become bilingual if you're not already. But for me, I think uh, you need to consider, do you want to do language as a university elective or do you want to do it through an adult language learning school? So for me, I originally did one subject at university. as a Chinese beginner one. But then I didn't want to chew up my electives with Chinese and equally I wanted to have a bit more than just the four hours a week. So I switched to going to an adult language school outside of class um, and had a really great experience. So that's something to consider as well. And in terms of cultural engagement, fun, travel, obviously you're in a really great region. It's easy to bounce around and see a lot of countries, go to a lot of sites, see, see places. You have your exchange students who are really willing to travel but also you have local students who know the region a bit better, so they're really fun to travel with as well. Um, Obviously, I just recommend considering what your priorities are. So for me, in my first semester, I had a very intense course load, so I didn't get to do as much travel. Um, But in my second semester, I made it a little bit lighter, had a bit more time for travel, um, and then I felt like I got the best of both worlds in terms of subjects and fun. So we'll now have a quick look at when you're coming home. I didn't touch on mentorship. It is relevant when you're uh, in country, but personally, I think that mentoring experience can be even more relevant when you come home because if you have found someone who you've had a few coffees with in Singapore or whichever country you're in and you say, you know, I'm going home, mentoring feeds into leveraging your network. So now you're back in Brisbane at the Gold Coast, wherever you are. You feel like there's been this massive build up to getting you over there, you got one of the best scholarships in the country, you know, it's all that, but now you're back. Well, you're still a student, most likely, or a very, very early career young professional, so it's certainly not the end of the grind. So you need to keep in touch with everyone that you've met, whether that be your people-to-people links, literally colleagues and peers, um, institutional, so... For me, keeping in touch with academics at university is more of an institutional network to me than a personal one. Um, and then what can you offer them? So in terms of value add, you know, are you are you putting content on LinkedIn that might be relevant to them? Are you just offering to have a chat about, you know, that subject that that academic taught you from an Australian perspective, as opposed to just, you know, picking up the phone and saying, how are you? But ultimately you're wanting to think of what's next. You know, are you looking at doing a master's? Are you looking at going straight into work? How can you use this experience that you've had to make yourself employable or a better candidate for a position um, at another school abroad? So you need to start having a think about what you want to do when you come home. Because for a lot of the MCP students that I've um, studied with and worked with, when you come home, it can feel a bit anticlimactic, really. So you need to have a think about, do you want to go straight back to Asia? Is that is that where you want to start your career? Or perhaps do you want to start your reputation professionally? As an Australian uh, with an expert in, you know, Australian trade and business, for example, and go back later. So, start developing a little mind map. You don't need a ten-year plan, but have a think about those things. So, <clears throat> excuse me. So, any questions that you have on the scholarship program, hold them for now or put them in the chat first. Now, we're, firstly, we're going to go over to Zach, who's going to talk to us about the mobility
2: program. Thanks, Grace. So, definitely some really valuable information there. On the NCP scholarship program. To reintroduce myself, my name is Zach Look. I'm a fifth year government and international relations student and I was a 2019 New Combo Plan scholar to Indonesia and Thailand. So you can see some of my experiences down there. So studying for two semesters, but also doing some language study and an internship in Thailand. So I'll be talking to you about the NCP uh, mobility program. So it is a little different from the scholarship program but there is $51 million set aside for this program. So there's definitely lots of opportunities to become involved. So Grace mentioned earlier that new combo plan is specifically to support students to undertake programs in the Indo-Pacific. But what is the Indo-Pacific? So it's a fairly new term that's been used in various government documents like the foreign policy white paper. But it essentially is all the way out east into the Pacific Islands all the way to the west in Pakistan. So it's a diverse range of countries that are included in this uh, concept of the Indo-Pacific. And that's what, uh, as you can see here, the list of countries, that's what's meant by the Indo-Pacific when we're talking about it in the context of new combo plan. So the new combo plan mobility program. So what is it? It's not something that students apply directly to uh, Department of Foreign Affairs and Trade too. The program actually provides the funding directly to the Australian universities and consortia. So in our case, it's Griffith. And with that funding, universities are able to support undergraduate students to undertake semester-based or short-term programs in the Indo-Pacific. So a short-term program, that's a minimum of 14 days uh, within the region. So it could be a Extended conference, it could be uh, artist residence, it could be anything. But as long as it fulfills those 14 continuous days in duration, you'll definitely be eligible for that. And there's $1,000 to $3,000 available for it. In terms of semester grants, that's, of course, a semester-long exchange program in the Indo-Pacific at a host university. And there's between $3,000 and $7,000 available for that. And there's also internship grants and language training grants. So you can see that there's a definitely diverse range of things available for you to do uh, while you're supported by the NCP Mobility Program. So you can see I've written there that it enables a diverse range of students to undertake innovative mobility projects. So it's not quite the same as the scholarship that they are looking for those highly driven and highly accomplished applicants. It's it's something that any any number of students, no matter what your what you study, you don't have to have the best grades going, but it provides you the uh, abilities to undertake programs in the Indo-Pacific. And that I had some examples there before. There's some study tours, uh, so that's faculty-led, so Griffith faculties organise different tours. So uh, there was previously, not this year of course, ones running to China, Fiji, India, Vietnam and other countries. I've also heard other students undertaking winter classes at a Korean university, doing internships at businesses in Jakarta, or even uh, a whole semester in Singapore. So, in terms of uh, requirements and the selection criteria, so you do have to be aged eighteen to twenty-eight years old, and those uh, age brackets might have shifted a little bit since then. So that's on last year's requirements, but it's worth noting that Aboriginal and Torres Strait Islander students don't necessarily have to fill to fulfill these age requirements. You also have to be an Australian citizen, enrolled in an undergraduate degree, including honours, and the project has to provide credit or count towards your course requirements. So it's really important to note that. And it's never, I I wanna say now that it's never too early to get the ball rolling with this process if you're really looking forward to uh, taking advantage of these opportunities. So in terms of when you're thinking about what you wanna do and where you wanna go, you have to be able to address these selection criteria in your application. So that's you must be able to express how the project will increase your knowledge of the Indo-Pacific. And that's especially your host location and how the project will support and strengthen people to people and institutional partnerships. So you have to be really direct in your objectives for the program. So Grace was saying it's, it's really not just a holiday. Then the government isn't going to give you money for that. They're giving you money for something that's going to grow you personally and professional and offer you real uh, educational value. So right now I'll hand back to to Grace, who's going to talk about a really exciting opportunity that's unique just for Griffith students.
1: Thanks, Zach. Um, So hopefully we've covered off on a few of your queries at least about um, the scholarship and mobility program. These are administered through DFAT This is very separate. So this is the Asia Future Fellows Program, which is exclusive to Griffith, and we are really fortunate in this sense because um, you'll be going to Peking University, um, Beida, which is a fabulous major research university in Beijing. So this is a very fabulous program that I I don't think I even appreciated in full when I was doing it, but Peking is a fabulous institution. Um, So as you can see from the first slide there will be Chile involved. But uh, no, we we had some fabulous times in Brisbane, Gold Coast and Beijing, um, introducing our Chinese peers to Australian culture and vice versa. But again, let's start with telling you about what uh, this program actually is. So as you can see on the screen, uh, it's a global exchange initiative designed for Griffith undergrads. There'll be 10 Griffith students and 10 Peking students um, doing a one week program in each country. And then a big part of this program is uh, the development and publication of a research paper. So during your time in Brisbane, which occurs first, you will be exposed to a range of different activities. It's a very full-on week. So you'll start looking at this research paper in this time and breaking into teams. So even though there's only two weeks in person, between the two uh, periods of time, you'll be communicating with your team members to develop this paper, which is a fun and challenging task. So taking a look now at my personal experience. So I applied in 20, for the 2017 intake. So um, I think the criteria hasn't changed too much. So I had to submit a um, very short response to a few questions and generally an application CV, cover letter, and it, it was competitive. So I, again, I would say you know, 10 spots don't discount the amount of time to put into an application. I know some people thrive under pressure, but I wouldn't do it the night before. So, uh, yes, what I got out of it was um, a much better understanding of China, but not from a government top-down, what I'd read in political science classes, but instead having met 10 really young, enthusiastic students, Um, and also what Griffith Asia Institute does, because This is a great asset of our uni, which I hadn't previously engaged with. So I would recommend, you know, look at some of the publications that GAI has and who's in in the GAI and, you know, what our professors and staff are doing there because it is a really fantastic institute. Um, I made some great friendships and professional connections. So I was really fortunate to travel a little bit after the one week in Beijing with some of the um, friends that we'd met and we've stayed in touch to this day, so, you know, three, three years later. We also did a fundraising element of this program, which is a, a great part of it, in my opinion. So we fundraised for Bethel Orphanage, which is an orphanage for um, visually impaired children. And we had the opportunity to attend this orphanage uh, in China, which was fantastic. So it was really good to be able to fundraise in our respective countries um, and then go and donate that money in person. And having a published group written research paper. So that was really interesting, having full reign on what we wanted to talk about. So for our group, we had multidisciplinary, a bit of everything and everyone in our group, but we we did settle on talking about anti-corruption measures. And uh, I met some really interesting academics in Australia and in Peking. So for those who may be interested in NCP as well, um, there is an Australian... Research Centre or Australian Institute at Peking, um, which you'll visit. And I do know some NCP scholars have interned there. So it's, it's interesting to be able to, you know, start forming some of those connections. So I think the real emphasis and takeaway of this program, you know, in saying what actually, like what is it? What did you take away? I can't understate the value of having worked so closely and so intensely with tiny students my age. I really had no perception of what the cultural differences would be between us. And I think if you work in a formal setting, even if there is cultural differences, there is still that artificial element of being in a workplace. So there are sort of standards that you have to abide by, but really we just had a fantastic time getting to know each other and, and, and really developing those links and, For me, an absolute highlight was taking um, the Peking students to the beach, um, which I thought was a bit odd when I saw it on the schedule, but I have never seen people happier in my life, so I think we need to not undervalue our beaches because that was a very fun day. But also the critical thinking workshops we did, the networking, um, the visiting DFAT and uh, meeting the Brisbane Mayor, um, these were all really important site visits that added to the sort of understanding of Australian affairs, and then doing the counterparts in Beijing as well. That's really, really helpful. So now looking at my tips for applying, I think is our next slide. So I didn't emphasize this enough. All of the things that we've talked about are multidisciplinary, and Zach did speak to this a little bit actually. So it doesn't matter what your undergraduate degree is, um, everyone's encouraged to apply. What do you hope to achieve from this program? So again, I'm a bit of a stickler for saying, you know, don't just apply for the sake of going on a trip. So in this sense, you know, what's your current understanding of bilateral relations with China? You know, have you been reading the papers? Have you got a general interest? Doesn't have to be political, you know, you might just have an absolute flair for Chinese opera, which is something some people have a flair for. It is very different. Have a listen if you haven't. But have a have a think about that before applying and, and include that in your application, you know. What really is it that's drawn you to this program? Perhaps you have an interest in uh, peaking as an institution or even the Schwarzman scholarship, which is a postgrad um, scholarship that you can do in China. So maybe you're applying for you know, future reasons. And then ensure you have the time and capacity to commit in full. So what I didn't fully appreciate was the amount of time needed in the in-between, as I was saying, because you know this is a research paper that is very back and forward different referencing style, different writing style, bit of translation. So just make sure you're happy to commit to that. I'm sure for the benefits of, you know, doing this program, you will, but um, make sure you have capacity because it's not one of those things that you want to get accepted on and then only be able to half, half do it. So look, that's the end of our formal know-how FAQs. Um, I hope you've got a bit of a sense of the three programs. I know Zach and I could talk about this Um, each program for days and days. Zach also did the Asia Future Fellows program, you know, so we, and NCP, so we have a very good understanding from our own personal experiences. But first, we're going to pass back over to Julia for the next part of this evening. But again, I'm really going to emphasise, Zach and I um, will take questions any time on this. So ask some now, but if you don't think of them today, that's okay. Thanks, Julia.
0: Awesome. Thank you very much, Zach and Grace, for all your knowledge and insight and just expertise on these three programs, like as someone who's done or I've done the Asia Future Fellows and hopefully we'll be doing the scholarship next year. That's my plan. Um, I have learned things from you just in those 20 minutes. So thank you. Thank you very much. Um, so now we're going to move on to a tip session. So our audience, um, while we're talking, feel free to post any questions in the chat for Zach and Grace to answer um, in the Q&A session. That will be a bit later. Um, so tips, I guess I'm going to pick on Zach first. Um, what are three things you wish you'd known before arriving in your host locations?
2: That's a good question. So definitely heading overseas often by yourself is a bit bit of a daunting task. So here's three things I wish I'd known. So for me, I'm a bit of a shy person. So I wish I had that reminder, like in the back of my head in class or something, like never be afraid to take the first step. Like that's such a big thing. Like when you're in classes or whether you're just starting out at an internship or something, never be afraid to introduce yourself. So when I was in class, I took my classes, like they were regular classes. So they taught entirely in Indonesian, and I was the only non-Indonesian student in the class. So my classmates were sort of like gawking at me like, oh, who's that? And it was just because they were curious and also shy to introduce themselves. So it was really up to me to introduce myself and take that first step. And it's also worth noting that within some of these cultural environments, like it might not be considered entirely appropriate or respectful to, to be that assertive. So it it might be up to you at the end of the day to take that first step. And you'll really be surprised how many friends you can make in like the most random places, just because people are just so curious to learn like, why are you here? And what are you doing? Like, tell us about Australia. Like, it's always those sorts of really casual introductions and engagements that, yeah, make the experience so much more worthwhile. So my second thing I wish I had known was, and I guess I ended up doing this, but it's really important to step outside your comfort zone and explore areas that you haven't really had much exposure to before. So the Indo-Pacific is so diverse and so different from Australia. So you've got to take the opportunities while you're overseas to try different things. So if there's a different unique sport that's unique to your host location, go and try it. it you might want to even try, you know, traditional dancing or traditional art, like I'm a politics student, but I studied like traditional Javanese dance, like how random, but it was fun. And it's also important to learn these sorts of things. Like it, it might seem a bit random, but by studying the dance, I like in the movements and the meaning of those movements, I was sort of able to get a better understanding of the culture at whole because it's all those implicit sorts of things that are expressed through traditional art that don't come across so clearly if, if I wasn't engaged in that space. And my, the third thing I wish I had known was this piece of advice. It's don't fight it, just accept it. <laughs> so you go to these countries and everything will just be so different. And and I, I was sitting in class and be like, what is happening? Why is everything so disorganized? Why is the traffic just going everywhere? Why is it like this? You've just got to accept it. Like there's no point. Like, it's not really our place either as as guests to criticize and critique. We've just got to accept it. Be like, okay, this is the way it's going to be. And me as some random foreigner student isn't going to change that. I remember when I first arrived in Indonesia, like the people who assisted our program saying, people in Indonesia don't really queue. When there was a, a dictator 30 years ago, who tried to make Indonesians queue but that he didn't have success. So you're not going to have success either. So I think that's a good piece of advice. We just got to sort of just, you know, go with the flow, accept it, and even maybe do a bit of research and understand why things are different, why things are the way they are.
0: Yeah. Oh, wow. Thank you so much for that, Zach. That it, all that information is just so like enlightening and so inspiring to know like J- Javanese dancing. Is that, is that what you learned?
2: Yeah, yeah, so it's it's that's like so a very good. sort of graceful slow dance, and so it's yeah.
0: Oh wow, that's more so different good.
2: legends and myths. So it's, it's really it. interesting.
0: Oh, that's so good. Um, oh, I'd love to hear more. Okay, I'm going to go on to Grace. Like, what are three things you wish you'd known before you um arrived in Singapore?
1: Well, firstly, I concur with everything Zach said. I wish I had taken all of that on board, particularly the last one. Just don't bite it. Um. But the first thing that I was going to say was, um, I think it's probably a little overstated. You've had everyone tell you to learn a language. But I come from a slightly different perspective in that I'm really keen on meeting people, but then developing a bit more of a deeper, a deeper connection, I suppose. So I was finding it a bit frustrating at the start when I was in college um, at NUS after six months, which was very culturally different to being at PwC, you know, a big MNC, Singaporean but still very international but I had more culture on to TV than I did in the work like Apple because um, I was a students student um, and it was just more work. And so I was frustrated and I wasn't really getting to anyone in terms of um, uh, developing a stronger friendship and I found that one of the best ways to do that was um, through sport and I know that sounds a little bit silly but There's definitely legitimacy to it, but language was also a big part of it. So these are two tips in one, I suppose. Sport is a great way to meet people because all of the inhibitions and barriers of, you know, day-to-day life kind of go away when, you know, you have a soccer ball and it's game on. Um, So I found sport in a business setting was great. I met people from other departments. Seniority didn't matter. Um, But also having a language was a great way to meet people because, you know, you're, you're saying you're on an exchange. They think, okay, you're here for four months, but you know it doesn't necessarily come up straight away. That actually I'm here for you know 18 months. Could be back. This sort of thing. So if you're going for a as uh, we say, after an hour, before, and then you order all your food in Chinese, and they speak with someone else an elderly and said in Chinese, why are you Chinese? You know, and then have another conversation, then your friends are suddenly much more interested in. What, what what are you actually doing here what what is this sudden language skill and i think it just shows a, a bigger appreciation for a culture so in singapore there is three official languages and you learn a little bit of everything just in terms of slang but showing that you can engage on a more refined level i think can occur through having a language and i definitely felt it was almost like a greater level of respect i in no way like that little who was in classes in A different language. I mean, that is the absolute goal. So, congrats, Zach. That's so cool. But um, having that on a social level as well is really helpful. And then, just to finish off the sport point, yeah, I found that I was very secluded in my um, department at PwC. But when I joined the Touch Rugby team, I got to meet people across the company. The people were very excited because they said, it's an Australian, she must be good. I'd actually never played touch rugby. It went very badly, very, very badly. But it was very fun. So there are two tips. The final tip, get in touch with your Griffith Uni alumni in your location. But your LinkedIn page definitely on that. It's quite sophisticated um, and they have a great team of Griffith Uni staff running that. Um, in Singers, they had an annual event where you could go to meet the five so that was we who meet some of the um, very people in the Uni who work in Singapore. Uh, I know they definitely do that in a number of um Indo-Pacific countries. So reach out to people in the GU network because they'll be more than happy to go for a coffee or to show you around the workplace if you happen to work for the same place, uh, et cetera, et cetera. So yeah, don't be don't be afraid to get in touch. Even if they're speed or they're very senior in their role, it doesn't matter.
0: Yeah. Well, thank you so much, Grace, for that. That's so good. Like all these just to think that you go in this program and there's there's always the requirements that you're doing study which and the language training and that's all awesome but all these other opportunities you get like exactly this javanese dancing which some people are asking for a demonstration for um and and like playing sport like playing touch that's so good like it's you have like a whole other life over there that's what it sounds like it's not just the like the amazing components but the every all the extracurriculars as well so I am so excited (laughs) thank you thank you very much for that those um three things you wish you'd known um other thing I was thinking about asking is like I'll go with Zach again and go back to Zach so what are three tips you have for applying in general for all these um these three programs
2: sure so the application process can be kind of tough especially for the scholarship program just because it is so competitive but three tips for applying the first one would be specific uh, be as specific as possible so when you're talking about why you want to study there and why you want to study in that specific location tell us like specifically why like what drew you to this country what are you going to gain from it you can't just be like oh yeah hi i want to study in this university in japan because that's not really going to cut it they want to see that strong justification and that strong reasoning as to why you've chosen this specific location. And so you need to really offer a great deal of detail in that, especially when you're offering this proposed study plan like you would with the scholarship. So you need to be saying, I'm going to be studying these sorts of courses and just as much detail as you possibly can. And it's even great to add in little bits like, while I'm studying at this university, I will also join this student club, which will allow me to do this. So just adding as much detail as you can possibly cram into all of these, whichever program you're looking at, just put as much detail as you possibly can because it will really help you out and, and allow the selection panel to see a clear vision and also build that personal connection with you, which is really important. So the second tip I have is that there's so much help available for all these programs. You just need to go out and get it. So it could, it could be writing your application. there's people who are happy to support you with that. It might be alumni, it might be the Honors College, it might be different people, but there's so much help out there for you. And in terms of course selection, don't be afraid to contact your uh, program administration team and get that ball rolling early, like it is quite a long process. So, and with uh, choosing program, finding program, there's Go Global, which are really helpful. So there's this whole network and whole team waiting to help you uh, become successful with these different programs. So just go out and, and get it if you're interested. And the third tip is a bit of like a weird one, but <laughs> it's like, pay attention to grammar and punctuation. Like this is something that irks me so much. Like when I'm reading different things and there's grammatical errors and weird spelling, and just because a lot of these programs are so competitive it's it's really important to have that highly tuned application the selection panel is like I remember one on the selection panel for for me it was like the former ambassador to Indonesia like these are incredible people and they don't want to be reading your like poorly worded sentences so it's really important that you that you spend the time doing it edit it read it over it five times get someone else to read it but yeah, it's really important to me.
0: Yeah, yeah, thank you, Zach, and Especially on that last point. Yeah, um, the the um when I applied for the twenty twenty round, um, I think the adjudicators must have been pretty nice to me because I realised after I submitted, um, there's like a word count, and at the end, um, it like it cuts it off if you go over, and I actually went over, so it just stopped in the middle of the sentence. <laughs> In my final application, I was like, oh, no, but it's okay. It worked out. All right. Um, yeah So I'm just gonna go to Grace now. Like what are your three tips for applying to these programs?
1: Sure. So I think mine are pretty specific to NCP but again, um, the things that Zach and I said apply across the board, I suppose, but Firstly, who will your referees be? So you don't need referees for Age of Future Fellows. So that is an NCP one and you need to have a long, hard think about who you're who you're going to ask because, whilst if you're early in your degree, well, that's a generalization, but you might not know many people beyond a very small circle um, of perhaps academics and perhaps family friends, um, maybe someone who hired you at um, your first job, something like this. What um, I've always been taught is that the standing of the person is actually quite relevant. Um, so, look, I wouldn't recommend, you know. Going and asking the most senior person in Griffith University um, to attest to your skills, but being a bit strategic in that—is um, it a lecturer? Is it perhaps a professor? Um, is it someone you've worked with for more than three months? You know, if they see you've got a new job and you've asked your boss, um, and you haven't been there very long, they might not give that a lot of weight. So do some research into um, thought leadership on selecting referees. There's a lot out there, but really the take-home is just you know. Make sure it's someone that's going to speak really highly of you. I was a bit confronted with the idea when I was only in my degree of writing my own reference. Um, I didn't do that for MCP because it was a blind referee, so that, that wasn't the case. But in other applications I've had, you know, um, I've had the referee say, look, put something together. Give me your points about yourself. And it's a bit uncomfortable, but ultimately you're you know, selling yourself. So don't be dissuaded by that. That's fine. That's part of the game. So, yes, make sure that they have the time to do it as well. So, for NCP, you have to send them a link. Send it straight away. Follow them up. Um, you know, your hopes and dreams rest on them. So, uh, yeah, don't feel don't feel shy to make sure they're doing a good job of that. Um, secondly, be authentic to yourself. Don't go in front of a panel and, and say what you think they want to hear. It's probably going to be obvious. Um, they see a lot of people who just try to sell what they think is a target student. And on that related point, definitely talk to uh, NCP alumni, but don't talk to them so much that you want to model your application based on them. Or if you see someone who's the same degree and you think, wow, they're fantastic. Like, don't put so much, um, you know, inspiration for your application on them that you sort of lose your own angle because the NCP panel don't want to see a cookie-cutter mould of the same people, interest, degree, study plan. So be very free yourself and be authentic. The biggest deficit I see is a lack of a linkage to the strategic objectives of the NPP. You want to go to the Asia-Pacific, you want to go Indo-Pacific? Okay, so what? What are you going to give me, the Australian government, DFAT, in return? You need to tie it back throughout your whole application into how this is going to help Australia achieve its policy objectives. And okay, maybe it seems silly if it's something so small as I want to study this subject. But it's all relevant in terms of the bigger narrative that you build in your application. So do have those strategic objectives and goals printed next to you. Have them on your, on your radar as you write your application. And yeah, I suppose that applies for all scholarships and grants that you apply for because they're giving it to you because they see potential in you, but also they probably want something in return. How are you going to contribute?
0: So yes, keep that in mind. Yeah, thank you for that, Grace. Um, yeah, that, that last one really resonates with me. I know Victoria in the audience here <laughs> last year when I was applying, always hurting me back to the objectives. I was like, come oh, on, Julia, this is the objectives. And it took me a while to actually realize, like, oh, like you gotta write this from the judges' um perspective. Like they wanna see, they wanna see that as Grace said, like you're you're a cool person, you have potential, but they also want return out of it. So, yeah, thank you. Thank you very much for that. Um, yeah, so that's the tips. We're going to move on to Q&A right on time now. Um, there have been quite a few questions coming up in the chat. So, if you do have any more, um, we will try to get them, put them into the chat now and we'll see if we'll have time. Otherwise, I'll start with the first one that came through to me from Kat. And that is, what flow and effect did your NCP scholarship have on your life, uni, career prospects now? So I guess that's to either of you, Zach or Grace, Do you, um, who wants to answer it?
2: Just give me a second to reflect.
0: <laughs> I'll, I'll
1: provide a few thoughts while you think, Zach. Um, I suppose for me, the first most obvious thing is I work for one of the companies I intern with in Australia. So I got back. To, Strip, to Brisbane, I moved back to Brisbane in January and I messaged Kingham Wood which is a Chinese Australian international woman, um, who I'd worked with for the whole summer and I said to them, you know, I'd love to continue my professional relationship with you. I um, had good testimony from the partners that I worked for and now I work for them as a paralegal while I finish my degree. Um, so that's a small thing because, you know, it's, I've, I'm not graduated, it's not a graduate job but it's fabulous to keep that engagement with the company going. Um, in terms of you, it's you know, I've done all my lectures in international law and I've did all master's courses. So it really made my stream of interest quite apparent. Um, so in terms of um, now having a sh- much stronger interest to do a master's program based on some of the courses that I did over there, that's emerged and that definitely wouldn't have been the case. But for doing that program, I wouldn't have even thought twice about doing master's. So having had to do 6,000-word dissertations, getting used to writing, Um, research. Yeah, loved it. Um, But also, yeah, I acknowledge that um, we haven't graduated yet. So no clear, clear, you know, I've moved back and started with this company. But I definitely think in terms of having um, sophisticated networks, I I still keep in touch with the other places that I worked at, interned at, mentored with. And um, yeah, I've met up with some of those people in Australia. And, you know, they've said, come join us, you know, after you've graduated. So it's there are little things like that that, you know, really are important and, and have, have occurred because at NCP. What about you, Zach?
2: Yeah, that's definitely true. So I'm in my last year of university, so applying for all the graduate programs, when you're writing the application or doing the interviews, you've just got a wealth of experience that you can draw upon. So it's always like that really? star method thing. And I'm always like, oh, how can I demonstrate teamwork or whatever the selection criteria might be? And there's always... Something like, oh, I did this when I was interning with the Thai government. Oh, I did this when I was studying in Indonesia. It's it's just those unique opportunities that that aren't you know commonplace within the uh, a group of graduates. So you've got to, it's really valuable these opportunities that you get for future career progression in the interviews. People are always curious and interested, like what happened when you study in Indonesia? Like it's always this talking point and that it allows you to build that, those clear skills that employees are really looking for.
1: Mm. I might just add that the, the, the fact that, you know, you've moved to a country where you probably don't know anyone. You know, you have this maturity. And in that sense, when and Zach's referred to with your classmates, you suddenly come back and, you know, you do feel not senior, but you you've have had this massive experience. So I think it really does set you apart. Um, professionally and personally you know the knowledge you've gained but also you know having to get a flat in a foreign country and getting a visa and learning strange new customs which perhaps you wouldn't have had to otherwise so you are a much more mature candidate um, that's had these really interesting um, experiences that perhaps would be interesting to it uh, would be um, desirable for an employer yep
0: Yeah, yeah, thank thank you very much for those um, insights there. I've got one specifically for Zach from um, Victoria, um, and I'm assuming this is on the NCP scholarship. So were all of your courses credited back back to your Griffith degree?
2: They were, yeah. So when you do a, it might be a short program or a semester-long program or even an extended program like Grace and I did, you always need to have that credit going back to your degree. So in my case, like I mentioned before, I was doing all my classes in Indonesian. So I actually received Indonesian language credit for that. But if I were to, for example, take the classes taught in English or or whatever the case may be, I could have also, if I so choose, to receive credit for government international relations courses. So there's definitely some flexibility there. And if you're looking, if you don't already speak a language when you're heading out into the Indo-Pacific, for example, if you might, you know, head, be looking at going to Japan, but you don't speak any Japanese. What you can actually do is have the credit credited into a concurrent diploma. So at Griffith, they do a Diploma of Languages, which can run aside uh, your Bachelor. So you can actually be gaining credits towards that diploma by doing language study without sort of disturbing your ordinary undergraduate course credits. Yep. So there's a lot of flexibility there. And you just need to ask the questions to your particular program director and their, and their team.
0: Yeah. Thank, thanks for that, Zach. It's, it's good to know that it's like, it's not just one way that you have to get your course credit. Like there's multiple ways that you can do it. Um, cool. So I've got another one from James, which is to both of you. So how do you build networks across cultural lines? Um, any tips for making meaningful links? give you a few seconds to think about it.
1: Great question. Really good question. Okay. Um, I'll give a few initial thoughts and then Zach, i <laughs> let you think about it. Um, I think the first thing that comes to mind is you can't have a one size fits all approach to building these connections. You're going to meet people from all different backgrounds um, and therefore you, you can't just assume that your standard approach to networking or hanging out even is going to work. Um, example that comes to mind is a time when I was at an ASEAN meeting, which I believe this is the same James, may have been there. And so, you know, wanting to get to know some girls who were from Brunei, we were having a great time in the formal sessions during the day, lots of um, constructive um, professional sessions, but also lots of giggling. So we wanted to hang out in the evening. Just being aware of, you know, not everyone was heading off to a bar to go drinking. And I knew this was something that would um that i was wanted to do So we went back to hotel and um watched movies and abjamas and just had a really fun night in and you know went and had a nice dinner and stuff. But being aware of cultural differences, you know, not saying, all right, it's been a big day, let's go have beers, because that wasn't going to be appropriate in this situation. So I would say being being flexible, um, not having that one size fits all. But then also just being a very active listener and being interested in other people and being able to learn and not just say, this is what I think of your country, it's all new to me, which is something that I see is quite common with students when they're overseas and perhaps there's not enough time for um, input from the other side. What about you, Zach? What what happened in your experiences?
2: Yeah, definitely some good points. So I think your success in building those personal connections in the Indo-Pacific do sort of rely on your cultural intelligence. So you've sort of got to make the calls on what's appropriate in these different contexts and these different cultural environments. So even, you know, I was in Indonesia and Thailand, both Southeast Asian countries, but, you know, profoundly different in the way uh, you you might conduct yourself in a informal or professional environment. So you've really got to do your research and, and, you know, it might sound a bit bad, but like, when you're in the the location, like you're going to make mistakes and that's okay. Like you might say the wrong thing at the wrong time in the wrong situation and that's okay. Like it's all about learning and and the people that you're engaging with, they'll be understanding like you're like, I'm not an Indonesian person. So I'm bound to make, you know, cultural faux pas. So it's all about doing a bit of research, building your understanding, but also, you know, being a bit wary about what's, what's appropriate at the right times.
0: Thank you for that. Um, we're actually nearly out of time. So I think there's time for one more question and then we'll have to wrap up. So if your question hasn't been answered yet, feel free to reach out to Grace's okay. Or the Griffith Honors College, or Griffith Asia Institute, um, and hopefully they'll be able to p- um, provide some insight onto your questions and queries. Um, but for now, our final question is um, from Melissa: Is how do you contribute to the NCP objectives upon returning to Australia? That's the golden sure. question, isn't it? <laughs>
2: I'll go in. So, an interesting thing about Department of Foreign Affairs and Trade: we often think that the projecting outwards that it's, oh, we have to make this country think that Australia is good. But they also, in a, on a different sort of way, they want Australians to perceive our region positively. Mm-hmm. So as a alumni, sharing my stories, you know, it might be a picture on Instagram, it might be chatting with friends, it might be talking in class. But it by hearing about these experiences, like my friends and, and contacts, their perception of the Indo-Pacific has changed and that's actually really beneficial. So it's sort of like, like I'm the, I don't know, this is like a horrible example for the current situation, but I'm like a little, little virus or something that like pro-Indonesia virus and it spreads and everyone's pro-Indonesia or something, which is an absolutely horrible example. Sorry for that, <laughs> but you get the point. <laughs>
1: Yeah, I think that really comes down to people-to-people links, um, Melissa, in terms of just really being able to, you know, not necessarily tick every single strategic objective all at once. You know, you'll come back, you'll probably still be early 20s. You know, we don't expect you to, or well, DFAT don't expect you to come back from MCP and be qualified to be, you know, the high commissioner for the country that you are in. So it can be something as small as people-to-people links, um, it might be applying for alumni ambassador, um, which Zach and I are for NCP. It might be taking up an executive role in a you know bilateral group um, for your country and Australia. But also it can simply be um, doing further study in that area of interest because, you know, Australia wants to promote its expertise and social and professional capital in that sense. So, you know, for myself previously not being interested in a master's, now interested in a master's, potentially going to be going back to Asia, maybe not, but doing something that's relevant to the region anyway and study, that's another way of contributing. So whilst it is daunting in that, you know, I have said, make sure you're hitting those boxes. You don't have to, you know, be a very formal, full-fitting professional when you come back. People-to-people links, um, maybe starting some kind of relationship with the uni you're in. Um, I know for myself, NUS isn't partnered with Griffith, which um, that's that's just the way it is, but, um, you know, not all unis are partnered with everyone, but perhaps if you did go to a partnered uni, um, maybe setting up some kind of um, online exchange or some kind of student-led initiative, those kind of things can help too,
2: yeah. Yeah, and as Katarina's just put in the message chat, there's a whole different group of, there might be youth associations, they might be diaspora organisations, but even before you head out into the Indo-Pacific and after you head into the Indo-Pacific, there's these amazing range of associations and organisations where you can continue to build upon your cultural understanding, your language skills and your knowledge of the region. So they're a really valuable tool, both before you head overseas to build your understanding and also build your application, but they're also a good tool for when you come back to continue that development and continue the learning
0: well thank you very much uh grace and zach i have two minutes to go i think i'm gonna have to wrap up so on behalf of everyone here i'd like to give a like massive thank you to both of you um for your amazing and helpful insights into your experiences with the ncp scholarship ncp mobility program and asia future fellows program as well as your tips and all your answers to your questions so thank you thank you thank you so much for that um i'm sure we have all learned very valuable tips um, for our future aspirations. Um, I'd also like to extend this thanks to Megan, uh, Alia, and Natasha from the Griffith Asia Institute, as well as Victoria Menzies from Griffith Honors College, and the 2019 and 2020 um, Griffith New Colombo Plan Scholars. But um, last and last but not least, I must thank the audience for coming and listening tonight. Um, I hope you have taken away some new pieces of wisdom that will help you on your journey to travel to the Asia Pacific. Now, um, before everyone goes, we do have another three sessions coming up. I'm going to talk about the um, the next one is coming up in two weeks for about twenty seconds. Um, So, I see on the slides there, so this other session will be focusing on real experiences in the Asia-Pacific and will be held on Tuesday, August 4th from 5pm to 6pm. Registrations will be coming out really soon, so be sure to um, be checking your social media and emails, um, any notifications. Uh, the second event is it's not uh, run by Griffith, but it is run by the asian Asian In and it is called the Indo-Pacific Student Mobility Dialogue and that's coming up on August 26th. It will be yet another Zoom event and will focus on student movement to the Asia-Pacific region, so very re- relevant to what we've been speaking about in the last hour. Um, applications are essential. Um, you can get to them. Via that link, which I don't know if you can click on at the moment, but we can um, we can send something into into the chat before we go. And they are due on August. Uh, their applications are due on August second. Yes, Shayan, Shayan. Um, yep. If you can post it into the chat, if someone cat, um, if you can get onto the PowerPoint, that would be great. Um. So this brings us to the close of session one. Um, I want to do a quick photo, a screenshot. Um, please put your hand up. So to do that, you're going to participants. I'll open all the t- participants box. And down the bottom, there is um, three buttons, which is invite, mute me, and raise your hand um, on the on the right. So yeah, put your hand up on Zoom if you want to be in the photo. Otherwise, we'll see you on August 4th for session two. Have a good night, everyone. Um, thank you all for coming again. Great. Right. Goodbye.